TheYeshiva.net. So we begin to learn now, Be'ezer Hashem Yisbarach, Ahadrin Amaseches Chagige, that was presented by the Lubavitcher Rebbe at a long Fabrengen, a series of Sichis talks, Shiurim, on the beginning and the completion, the end of Masech Chagige. The Dafyoimi is now starting Masech Chagige and will soon be finishing Masech Chagige. So it's extremely apropos for many, many thousands, hundreds of thousands of Jews, perhaps even more, are embarking now on a journey of Masech Chagige to explore Masech Chagige, to learn Masech Chagige from beginning to the end. And this siyum of the Lubavitcher Rebbe Masech Chagige is a hadron that deals both with the beginning of the Masech primarily with the conclusion of the Masech The Rebbe presented this hadron on Chagige at the Fabrengen of Chof of Tovshin Lamed Aleph. That is the 20th of Av, 1971. As I mentioned in previous Siyumim and Hadronim HaMesechtas that we learned together, Shabbos, Mesechta Shabbos, Mesechta Erevim, Mesechta Psachim, the Rebbe would make a few Siyumim Mesechtas, a few Siyumim a year, sometimes three or four or five or six, sometimes a Siyum on the whole Shas, or on the whole Shisha Sidri Mishnah, on the whole Rambam, and sometimes a Siyum on an individual Mesechta. Usually it was on all the yard sites. Because by a yard site, there's a debate in halacha, whether you fast or you, by the chassidim, they have a fabreng and they have tikkun. So to be yotzef, everybody would always make a siyum of a mesechta. So there was the yard site of his father, Chaf of the 20th of Av, his father passed away in 1944 in Kazakhstan in exile. Rebbe Levi Yitzchak Schneerson, the rabbi of the Dnepr Petrovsk, Yakatrinoslav in Ukraine. His yard site is Chaf of. So the Rebbe would each year make a fabreng and make a long siyum on a mesechta. Was Vov Tishrei is his mother's yard site. She passed away in 1964. Rebbe Tzanchani would make a siyum. would make a siyum on Yutes Kislev when they finished Shas. Sometimes on the whole Shas or on Masechta. Also make a siyum usually Yutshvat, which is the yard site of his father-in-law. Erev Shvuas usually there was a siyum. And sometimes other occasions. There was also a siyum sometimes on his birthday. Yud Aleph Nissen at the Fabrengen. That year, Tavshin Lamed Aleph, the Rebbe also made siyum on the yard site of his mother, Vov Tishrei. He made a siyum, Tavshin Lamed Aleph. And now, Chafav Tavshin Lamed Aleph was a siyum on Masech Chagige. Right. <laughs> I was looking up what siyum he made, Vav Tishrei. I remember we learned it together, was Masech Yuma. <laughs> we learned it a few months ago, Masech Yuma. Amr Abakiva Shreichim Yisrael in the beginning of Yuma. That was that year, Lamed Aleph, and this is Chafav in the summer, Masech Chagige. Now, this, sikha, this hadron was published in Lukutei Sichis, Volume 16, Parshas Truma, one part of the Hadron. Another part of the Hadron was published in Lakutei Sichis, Volume 16, Parshas Vayakel. Because it was a long Hadron with different aspects. So today, Project Lakutei Sichis, where they learn the Lakutei Sichis every week. This week we're learning the Sicha. So I'm going to give a share today on the part of the Hadron of Parshas Truma. And then in a few weeks, by Ezra Hashem, Blineda, we'll have the Shir on the second part of the Hadron on Chagiga, the end of the Gemara, which is going to be Be'ezir Hashem, Parashas Vayakal, and will announce and notify the Olam about it. This, I'm very, I don't know if the word is excited, but I'm extremely excited and enthusiastic about this shir, because I remember, this shir was given, this sikha was given before I was born, I was born a year later. But many, many years ago, when I was still a yeshiva bacher, I heard this sikha on tape, on recording, then we listened to tapes in the tape recorder. And, uh, it didn't just blow me away. 
It wasn't just moving and transformative, but it was an exceptional display of how to learn. The Rebbe's Siyumim HaMesechta says, Adronim, we're not just a vertel at the end of the Mesechta, a nice vart, a nice lesson, a, a little pshetl. Many of the Rebbe's Hadronim on the Mesechtas of Shas laid down fundamental ideas in how to learn the Mesechta. The Rebbe would explore different sugis of the Mesechta, especially the beginning and the end. Explain it according to the Rishonim and according to the Acheronim with tremendous lumdas and amkus and pkias. And as we will see in this one, it's unique because here, as I once heard from Rabbi Yoel Khan, Zechreina Levracha, who heard from the great Lithuanian Gan Reb Chaim Tzimmerman, Zechreina Levracha, that the Rebbe's Derech Halimu takes you back to the Yisaitis. In other words, sometimes you could learn things, and each situation is just an individual discussion about that particular topic, and you try to understand it. But here, it's like going back to the back-end program of Torah, seeing the Torah from a bird's-eye view, and taking many different debates that seem completely disconnected from each other, and showing the underlying paradigms of thought that guided the Tanoim and the Amirayim on a practical, legalistic level, a level of halacha, but it also translates into philosophy and into psychology and into avoidus ha'adam, into avoidus and into avoidus understanding the soul, and all the way into the practical day-to-day life of a person. So you have the scope of Judaism, the nigla, and the nister, the revealed part of Torah, and the mystical part of Torah, and the spiritual dimension, machshove and ashkofe, kabbalah and chsidus, all the way down to the most practical level. But the primary focus of this hadron is the lamdus, understanding there was a lot of raid in the sugya of Masech Chagiga, but we will see here that we have here a, 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 a perspective of how the Rebbe learned and tried to teach people how to learn to be able to really capture the most fundamental uh, dimensions within the argument, to be able to trace it back to its original core, and then you see sometimes connections between things that seem so disconnected, but really they are part of one larger mosaic and tapestry that manifests itself in many different dimensions of life, all the way down to the practical aspect of life. This shear is going to be divided into three sections. The first section is going to be the introduction, where we're going to learn the end of Masech Chagiga. And I just have to say, it's a little complicated, especially if you're not familiar with this type of learning. So you may be tempted at some point to say, this is not for me. But I guarantee you, with God's help, we're going to try to explain it so that everybody will be able to understand it, at least on a basic level. And uh, it's well worth it. After that, we're going to go to the second part of the Shia. second part of the Shia is going to be exploring the world of Hillel and Shammai expressed throughout Mishnayis and Gemara throughout the whole Talmud. One aspect of the inner world of Hillel and Shammai and the schools that they created. There's the school of Hillel, the school of Shammai. The last part of the Shia is going to be bringing it back to the conclusion and the beginning of Chagiga, and then applying it to a person's daily life in our relationships with ourselves, with other people, with our children, with the Jewish people individually, collectively, and with Hashem. Let me give now a brief introduction so that you should be able to understand what is going to be unfolded. In Parshas Truma, Hashem tells Moshe Rabbeinu to build the tabernacle, to build the mishkan and all of the pieces of furniture in the mishkan. Among them, you had two altars. The Mizbeach HaNechoshes, the Mizbeach Hazav. The copper altar and the golden altar. 
The copper altar is discussed in Parshas Truma. The golden altar is discussed at the end of Parshas Tetzav. The golden altar was an altar that remained in the Heichel, that was roofed with the tapestries, where they had a roof of the tapestries, it was inside the Mishkan, and later inside the Besamikdash, where most Jews would not enter, even though the Kayanim would go in to do the service there, and they would go in every day to bow, all of the Kayanim that served. But that was off-limits to most people. That was the golden altar. It was made of acacia wood. It was built from Atzei Shittim, but it was plated with gold. On that Mizbeach, they used to burn incense every single day. Every single morning and afternoon, there was a Kayan who would burn incense on the golden altar. And again, it was plated because it was really made of acacia wood, under the gold. That was one Mizbeach. It's called the Mizbeach HaPnimi, because it was inside, the incense. Then there was the Mizbeach HaChitzim, the outer altar. That was already in the courtyard of the Mishkan. Or later in the courtyard of the Beis Hamikdash, known as the Azara, later when it moved, when they built, when Shlomo built the Beis Hamikdash in Jerusalem. This Mizbeach is known as Mizbeach Hanachoshes, because the Torah says in Parshas Yisrael and then in Parshas Truma that it was, it was as follows, it was built as follows. The walls of the tabernacle were made of copper coated wood. So again, the walls were built of acacia wood, atse shittim, but it was coated with copper. Now the hollow interior was filled with earth every time the Mishkan was set up. The Mishkan would travel in the desert over the 40 years, so they would take this altar that was hollow, they would transport it, and then they would set it up. Again, the walls were made out of wood, but it was coated with copper, so it's called Mizbeach HaNachayshis, and the interior of it was made of earth. That's why the Torah says in Yisrael, Mizbeach Adama Tasali. It's a Mizbeach made of earth, but the walls were made of wood, and it was coated with copper. Okay, I hope that was clear. Now we go to the next step. Next step. The Torah says that utensils, most utensils, for example, metal utensils, wooden utensils, utensils made of gold, of silver, of copper, of other metals, iron, can become tummy. If, let's say, a dead sheretz, a dead weasel, falls in to a pot made of metal, or to a pot made of wood, or to a bowl of wood, or a cup of wood, these are makabal tumah, they are susceptible to impurity. Now in our days, the laws of purity and impurity are not part of daily Jewish life, only in a few very small instances. But you have to understand that in the time of the Beis Hamikdash, the laws of purity and impurity were as relevant, and as, uh, as, uh, as, What's the word I'm looking for? They were as relevant and uh, so much part and parcel of the fabric, the daily, yeah, the daily fabric of Jewish life, because much of Jewish life, especially in Eretz Yisrael, especially in Yerushalayim, revolved around the laws of purity and impurity. So there was a deep conscientiousness and sensitivity to these laws. So people are not so familiar with them today, and sometimes people just shut down. When you start hearing the word Tumah and but please don't, you'll, because you'll understand the principles here. So let's say you have a Tumah, a source of impurity that falls into a vessel. The vessel now becomes impure. Now most vessels, it's not a problem. You put it in a mikveh, in a kosher mikveh, and the vessel is now pure, it's fine. There is an exception called clay cheres, which means an earthenware vessel that's made of mud and straw and it's baked in the oven or in the sun. Here you can't put it into the mikveh because it's porous and you have to dissolve it. You have to break it and then it becomes pure and then you can put it back together. But most of the vessels, let's shut this, most of the vessels, you put it in the mikveh and it becomes, it becomes pure. But here there, are, there is one important halacha that we have to understand. The Torah 
teaches us that clay eats ha'asri l'nachas is not mekabaltum, which means a wooden vessel that has a cavity, that has an interior, is susceptible to tumah. A wooden bowl, a wooden spoon, a wooden barrel. If it's flat, if it's pshute clay eats, it's not susceptible to tumah biblically, only on a rabbinic level. But if it has a cavity inside, let's say it's a bowl, right? And it's made of wood, it's susceptible to tumah. But there's an exception. Clay eats ha'asir l'nachas. If you have a wooden utensil that's made to be stationary, it's large, it's very large, and therefore it's really designated to stay in one place and not to move. So we learn out from the Torah that it's not susceptible to Tum. And the reason is, I'm not going to get into the details now, but the Gemara discusses this in Chagiga, because in Parsha Shmini, the Torah speaks about different utensils that are susceptible to Tum, and it compares the wooden utensil to a sack. A sack, just like other garments, is susceptible to tumor. Garments are susceptible to tumor. That's why if somebody died in a person's home, remember in the olden days there were no hospitals, so people died in homes person dies in somebody's home, everything that was under the same roof now becomes Tameh, if it's susceptible to Tumah. So it's a very serious situation. If you're a Kayan and you're going to serve in the Beis HaMikdash, or you have to eat Karbanes, or you have to eat holy food, you have to know what's happening. That's why the laws of Tumah were so important, especially for Kayan, but really for all Jews, because Jews would travel to the Beis HaMikdash, Jews would eat Karbanes sometimes, so you always had to know the laws of Tumah and Tara. So if you have a wooden utensil that's big, it's a big wooden vessel that's not made to move around, the Torah compares it to a sack. A sack is made to carry. That's what we use a sack for, right? When it's empty, we carry it. When it's filled, we carry it. So we learn from this that the only type of wooden utensil that is makabal tum is a wooden utensil that's going to be like a sack, which means you could carry it around when it's full, you can carry it around when it's empty, but if it's a big wooden utensil that's made to be stationary, you're not going to carry it around when it's full. It's very hard and it might break, it's too much weight, it's too vulnerable, so therefore it's not mekabal Okay. Once you understood this introduction, let's now go to the next step, and here we're going to Look inside the last mission of Masech Chagiga. It's Masech Chagiga Dav Chavav. Open up your source sheets if you haven't done yet. And let's see inside. Okay, follow carefully. This is the last mission of Chagiga. Says the Mishnah. Keitzad Ma'avirin Altaris Hazara. Okay, I guess here we need another little introduction. And that is, we have a problem. There was a group of Jews known as Ami Ha'aretz, which meant they could have been very fine people and, and sometimes... Uh, very sensitive and good people. The challenge is that they often did not know the nuances of the laws of purity and impurity. So they weren't always scrupulous, either because of ignorance or for other reasons in the laws of Tumah and Tara. So they were always afraid, the sages were afraid, that if they don't know the laws, they may be impure, or their food may be impure, their vessels may be impure, but they don't know it. Now, all year it's not such a challenge, but Pesach, Shavuos, and Sukkot, all Jews came to the Beis HaMikdash. There was a mitzvah, Aliyah Leregel, that's the opening of Chagiga, Hakel Chayavim Biriyah. All Jews are obligated, all male Jews are obligated to come, Pesach, Shavuos, and Sukkot, to the Beis HaMikdash. And they would roam around the mountaintop, the Temple Mount, and they would roam around the Beis HaMikdash, and they would bring offerings. And of course, people touch things, especially if you're coming all the way from a far place, maybe from Babylonia, or from a remote place, you're coming to the Beis HaMikdash, and you may touch vessels, you may touch the altars, you may touch the menorah, a Kayan who goes into the Heichel, and he's an Amaretz, he doesn't know the laws of Tumah and Tara. You may touch the Shulchan, you may touch a lot of these things. So what, what happened? After the festivals, they had to take all the vessels from the Beis HaMikdash that might have been touched by somebody who was not cautious or was unaware of the laws of Tumantara, and they had to put it all into the mikvah. 
to purify it. That's what the Mishnah says. Ketzad Mavrin What would they do? What was the process of removing everything after Yamtif to purify the Azara? Says the Mishnah, Matbilin Esakelim Shahayu Bemikdash. They used to take all the vessels of the Beis Hamikdash and they would immerse them in the mikvah. It's fascinating. Any vessel that was used, any utensil that was used in the Beis Hamikdash that might have been touched over Yamtif. If it was stored away and nobody touched it, then there's no problem. But if it might have been, been touched over Yamtif, you had to put it into the mikvah. On Yamtif, they used to say to the people who were there who may have been ignorant, Hizaru, Hizaru Shalaitigu Bashulcham. Don't touch the table. There was a table with showbread in the Heichel. And there were Kayanim who would go in. Kayanim would go in every day to bath. And maybe a Kayan who was an Amaritz. He was not careful with the laws of Tumidah. They said, don't touch the table. You know why? Because the table always has to be there. Because the terrorist says that the, the bread has to be Lafanai Tumid. Always. They didn't want to have to take the table and put it in the mikveh and take it out. So therefore, they said, please, nobody touch the table. So the table will remain immune. And then the Mishnah continues. All the utensils in the Beis HaMikdash had doubles and triples. You had a second set and you had more than two sets. You had extra sets, copies, in case throughout the whole year a vessel may become tummy. You don't want to get stuck. Remember, they used a lot of utensils in the Beis HaMikdash. They used forks and of course they used knives and they used bowls and they used... They used Various types of spoons and various types of pliers. So many different vessels that were used and they could become tame. So they always had an extra set and a third set to be able to replace it until the other ones are purified. Now the Mishnah continues. Here's the key. All the utensils in the Beis HaMikdash needed to go to the Mikveh after Yom Tov. Besides the golden altar and the copper altar. Those were the only two that didn't need. Besides the table didn't need because nobody touched it. But everything else that was touched had to go to the mikveh. Why did the altars not have to go to the mikveh? Obviously they would need a big mikveh. He couldn't put it into a small mikveh. But why didn't they have to go to the mikveh? They can also become tamay. Copper can become tamay. Wood can become tamay. Gold can become tamay. Gold is a metal. Copper is a metal. Wood becomes tamay. The answer is The answer is because the Torah defines these altars as earth. And earth is not susceptible to tumah. <laughs> you can't make earth tamay. And even vessels that are made from earth, clay adama, if it's not baked in the oven, if it's baked in an oven, it's called clay cheres. But clay adama, if you take just earth and you turn it into a vessel, it's so cheap, it's not makabal tumah. Even, by the way, stones are not makabal If you make a vessel out of stone, rock, it's not makabal But earth is not makabal And the Torah calls the altars earth. This is Rabbi Eliezer's opinion. That's why I'm not worried about the altars. I don't care if somebody was impure, even if somebody, say, touched a corpse. And he didn't know, he was unaware, and he comes and he touches the Mizbech. I'm fine, it's earth, it's not makabal tumah. Because the altars were plated, they were covered. The Gemara is going to explain. Says the Gemara, What does Rabbi Eliezer mean that the altars are considered earth? So the Gemara explains. It comes to the copper altar, the Ksiv, it says in Parshas Yisrael, Build for me an altar made of earth. Adama is earth, like Adam. It's called Adam because he came from the Adama. And as I explained, the altar of copper was filled with earth in the Mishkan. 
And then there were walls of wood plated with copper. But the Torah says it's clearly Mizbeach Adama. So the Torah excluded it from the world of Tumah. What about Mizbeach Hazov? What about the other Mizbeach? The other Mizbeach wasn't filled with earth. It was, you remember, acacia wood plated with gold. It says in Bamidbar, HaMenoira V'Hamizbechais. It speaks about the families that were transporting, the Levine that were transporting the vessels when they traveled. The Menoira and the altars. Iskush That's very significant. When the Torah says Mizbechais in the plural, it juxtaposes, it equates the altars with each other. Mizbechais. The Torah could have just said one altar and another altar. The fact that it's put together in one word is very significant. This is how the sages learned Chumash. Every word and the way a word was phrased became significant. It's called Iskush, Hekesh. Not just juxtaposed in the same verse, it's in the same word. Mizbechais. So we compare, we equate the golden altar to the copper altar. And just like the copper altar, Rabbi Eliezer says, is called earth, Mizbeach Adam, and therefore it's not susceptible to Tumah. So the Mizbeach ha, Mizbeach Hazav, the golden altar is also not susceptible to Tumah. So they didn't have to go to the mikveh after Yom Tif. Baruch Hashem, the altars were good. <laughs> it would have been a very big headache. The Menorah, for example, you had to take to the mikveh. <laughs> you had to take to the mikveh. <laughs> That's why there were different Menorahs. But the Mizbechis didn't have to take to the mikveh. Everything seems clear, right? Good. Somebody's asking a good question. By the way, you can ask your questions. You can ask your questions on the website, on the yeshiva.net. You can add in the comments, or you can ask your questions in the chat on the Zoom. I'm going to take the question. But somebody's asking, I don't understand. The Mizbeach was wood, wood that was stationary. It was a wooden vessel that was stationary. So what's the problem? Good, good, good. Wait, wait. Let's learn the next piece. Because they're plated. The Gemara says, this doesn't make sense. On the contrary, that's a reason to say that the altars should be impure, not pure. Rabbi Eliezer says, the reason the altars are pure is because they're compared to earth. Fine. Chachamim say because they're plated. But I don't understand. The Gemara says, If they're plated, that's a reason that the Mizbechah should be Tameh. Because metal becomes Tameh. Gold could be Tameh. Wood, uh, uh, copper's tongue becomes Tameh. So the Chachamim Masayim Ipnei Shein Mitzupin. The altars are plated. Okay. They're plated. So that's a reason to be Metameh them. Says the Gemara, Eima, you're right. You have to understand the text differently. Eima v'chachamim metamen v'nei sheim etzupin. The chachamim argue with Rabbi Eliezer. They don't agree with it. Rabbi Eliezer says the altars are tahir because they're compared to earth. The chachamim say, sorry, I look at the plating, I look at the cover. And because I look at the cover, so therefore, the covers are gold. Metal, copper, they're Tameh. Wow, that's a huge Chiddush that the Chachamim believed that the altars became Tameh and they had to go to the mikvah. Vibay Seima. But there's another way of learning the Mishnah. They're not arguing. The rabbis are actually responding to Rabbi Eliezer. They're telling him as follows. This is how Rashi explains it. Why did you tell us that the reason the altars are pure is because they're like earth. I have a better reason. 
They are wooden utensils that are made for stationary positions. They're made to be in one place, like you asked. Why does Rabbi Eleazar have to give this whole pilpul that the Torah compares the altar to earth, Mizbeach Adam, he calls it an altar of earth, and the second Mizbeach is compared to the first one, so it's tired. Forget about it. Let's say it wouldn't have been earth. Let's say it would have just been wood. Okay, sure wood. It's made to be in one place, so it's not Mechabal Tumah. So, what were you thinking? Ah, you were worried because the altars are plated. So therefore, they're not considered wooden utensils. They're considered metal utensils. And metal utensils are susceptible to Tumah even if they're in one place. Even if they're large and they're made to be stationary, if they're metal, they're still susceptible to Tumah. That's why you didn't give the reason of clay eight to Asri Lenachas. Says the Chachamim Miftal Botel Gabayo. Sorry, sorry. The plating, the cover, is subordinate to them. Miftal bottle. The plating is subordinate to the wood. And therefore, it's tahir. Why? Because it's clay, eitz In other words, Rabbi Eliezer says the reason the altars are pure is because they're compared to earth. Chachamim said there's no need for that. You don't need to go there. There's a much simpler reason. Because they are wooden pieces of furniture that are large and are made to stay in one place. They're not made to be mobile. They're made to be in one place. And because they're made to be in one place, therefore, they are not susceptible to tumma. Either plated with metal, but they say, miftal bottle, the cover is bottle, it's subservient, it's subordinate, it's surrendered to that which is under the plating because it's just a cover. The cover doesn't substitute the substance. So therefore, we don't look at the plating. We look at what's inside. We don't look at the outside. We look at what's inside. You look at what's inside. It's wood. The golden altar is made of wood. The copper altar is made of wood. And wood that's stationary is what? It's tahir. That's how the Chachamim respond to Rabbi Eliezer. This is the second explanation in Gemara. First explanation in Gemara is the Chachamim actually argue with Rabbi Eliezer. Rabbi Eliezer says the altars are tahir. Chachamim say they are tameh. Why? Because they're plated. And because they're plated, we don't look at the earth. We look at the fact that they are metal. The second interpretation in the Gemara is, no, the Chachamim agree with Rabbi Eliezer. That it's pure, but for a different reason. Rabbi Eliezer says it's pure because it's like earth, and the Chachamim say it's pure. Why? Because it's a wooden utensil that's made to be stationary, even though it's plated. The plating is bottle. It's subordinate to that which is under the tzipui. This is how Rashi learns the Gemara. But, before we finish the piece of Gemara, we have to understand how the Rambam learns the Gemara. The Rambam learns the Gemara very differently. The Rambam says as follows. The Rambam, in Pirush HaMishnayis, in his commentary on Mishnayis, in Mesech Kalim, Mesech Kalim, Perik Yud Aleph Mishnah Dalet, the Rambam and his says and he explains this Gemara. He says this is the meaning in the Gemara Chagiga. He says we have to understand this piece of Gemara very differently. Okay, now tune in here to what the Rambam says. The Rambam quotes a Sifra, a Torah Koyanim in Parshas Shmini, that tells a, says a fascinating halacha. The Torah says, the Torah speaks about vessels that are susceptible to Tumah, and the Torah says in Parshat Shmini, Kol keli asher yas ya'asem alacha bohem. 
any keli, any vessel in which you do work inside of them. And that keli can become tameh. So from here, Chazal, our sages, learned out in Sifra, that the only type of vessel that's going to become tameh is a vessel that doesn't have a tzipuy. It doesn't have a chipuy. It doesn't have a cover. It's not plated. Why? So the Rambam explains. The reason is as follows. Because the Tumah didn't touch that which is under the plating. It only touched the cover because the Tumah doesn't go beyond the cover of the vessel. So if you have a wooden vessel that's plated with gold or with metal, says the Rambam, such a vessel won't become Tumah even if Tumah touches it. You know why? Because the vessel itself didn't come in contact with the Tumah. What came in contact with the Tumah? The cover of the vessel. But the cover of the vessel doesn't have substance. It's bottle. It doesn't have a real metzias because its whole entity is just to cover. It's a protective or a protection or a decoration for the vessel. So the vessel itself is not Tameh because it didn't come in contact with the Tumah. The cover of the vessel is not Tameh because the cover doesn't have significance. It's bottle. It, it, it's like it doesn't have a strong identity because it's just there as a plating for the substance. So therefore, the Rambam says, the Sifra holds that any vessel that has a plating, has a covering, even if the plating on its own is something that's susceptible to Tumah, and the vessel is also, for example, wood covered by metal, is not Mechabal Tumah. <laughs> because again, the vessel itself didn't come in contact with the Tumah. The Torah says the only way a keli could become Tumah is Asher Yasa Behem. The Tumah has to come in contact to the vessel, with the vessel itself. If it came in contact with the plating over the vessel, the vessel is not Mechabal Tumah. The plating itself is also not tummy. Why? Because it's bottle. It doesn't have real substance. It doesn't have real value, real significance. Because it's just there as a cover. It's just there as a, as, I don't want to say as a cover-up, but as a protection, as just plating for design for the vessel itself. The Rambam says, this is the meaning of the Gemara. Reb Eliezer says, why don't the altars become tummy? Because they're compared to earth. Because they're plated. And the tumma touched what? The tumma touched the gold or the copper. So that's not going to become tummy because it's just a cover. And the mizbeach itself that's made of wood is also not going to become tummy. Why is it not going to become tummy? Because the tumma only touched the cover. It didn't touch the mizbeach itself. So therefore the Rambam says that that is the meaning of the chachamim. Because the Mizbeach is plated, so based on the Sifra, such a vessel will never become tummy, and therefore you don't have to send the Mizbeach to the Mikvah. This means, this means, Rabbi Eliezer would say, the plating is a reason to become tummy. <laughs> the, the issue is the Mizbeach is compared to earth, and earth doesn't become tummy. The Chachamim say, no, the reason it's Tahir is because it's mitzupin, so therefore you don't need any other reason. You don't need any other reason. Even if it wouldn't be klei even if it wouldn't be karka, the very fact that it's plated means it has no substance, and therefore it doesn't become tummy, and the keli itself doesn't become tummy because it didn't come in contact with the tumah, so therefore the mezbeach is tired. This means that Rashi and Rambam have a very serious argument how you learn this Gemara. Because according to Rashi, the fact that the metal is a plating over the wood, the okashia wood of the Mizbeach, is covered with gold or with copper, that covering is actually a reason to make it Tameh. It's a reason to make it Tameh, the covering, according to Rashi. Right? According to Rebeleza, it's not Tameh. Why? Because it's like Karka. And according to the Chachamim, the way Rashi explained it, why is it not Tameh? 
because it's clay nachas, it's considered stationary wooden vessel that's not tame. And as the Gemara explains, and Rashi explains that the Navi Yecheskel called the Mizbeach eights, so we see that the Torah regards it as wood, not just as copper and gold, the Torah defines it as wood, so it's clay eights asuy nachas. that's why it's not Makabal Tumah. But if you would focus on the tzipui, if you would focus on the plating, of course it would be a reason to be Makabal Tumah. According to the Rambam, it's the opposite. It's because it's plated, it's the plating that saves the keli. It's the plating that saves the mezbech. According to Rashi, the tzipui is the problem. Because it's covered with metal. Elamayda Belezer has his reason, and the Chacham have his reason, their reason why it's pure. The Belezer because it's karka, and the Chacham because it's clay eitz osilonachas. According to the Rambam, fakert. It's the tzipui that saves it. As we explained, because it's only a covering, it's only a covering, and inside there's a keli, Therefore, the tzipui protects the keli from tumah, and the tzipui itself doesn't become tameh. And here the Rebbe raises the big question. The Rishonim say that the Rambam, the Rosh even expresses himself, the Rosh expresses himself, a fascinating expression on the Rambam. What does he say? The Rosh says that the Rambam looked at the Mishnah. He didn't see the... Lo'iyin b'gemara. He didn't look at the Gemara. The Rikurka says in the Rambam, The Rambam is very difficult with our Gemara. Why is the Rambam so difficult with our Gemara? Because when you read the Gemara, what does it look like? In the first version, the Gemara says that the Chachamim say it's Tameh. Why is it Tameh? Because it's Metzupah. Because it's plated. And if it's plated, it should be Tameh. So we see that the Gemara clearly holds that the Chachamim say that if it's plated, it should be Tameh. Then the Gemara says a second version, that the Chachamim say it's Tahir. So Rashi explains it beautifully, that the Chacham are telling to Rebbe Lezer, you were worried about what? You were worried that you can't say clay eitzah asu l'nachas, because there's a tzipui m'pteshein mitzupin, and therefore you went to Karka. Don't worry about it. The tzipui is bottle. Don't look at the tzipui. Forget about the tzipui. The tzipui is bottle, and therefore it's clay eitzah asu l'nachas. From both versions of the Gemara, it seems that the Chachamim hold that tzipui is a reason for tumah, not for tara. Comes the Gerambam and says, no, Taka, the first version of the Gemara is Tzipui is a reason for Tumah. The second version of the Gemara is a whole different world. Tzipui is a reason for Tara. It actually works nicely with the word but the Rosh says, it doesn't seem like from the language of the Gemara that that's what the Chachamim are saying, that the Tzipui is a reason for for, for, for Tara, because the first version of the Gemara, the Chachamim actually said clearly that Tzipui is a reason for Tumah. So even in the second reason, it seems like, what was your problem, because it was mitzupin, and therefore, you don't want to say it's clay eitz, because mitzupin is a problem. But according to the Rambam, no, tzipu is actually a reason for Tara. And the Rosh and the Rikurkus, which means the Rishonim feel that this is a difficult way of learning the Gemara, and the Rebbe asks the question, why wouldn't the Rambam in Masech de Chagiga learn like Rashi? which seems like a very straightforward way of learning it. Why does the Rambam have to argue with Rashi and see the argument between Rabbi Eliezer and the Chachamim in a completely different way than Rashi? Especially when you see the language of the Gemara, it seems much more consistent with Rashi. And yet the Rambam learns the Machleik between Rabbi Eliezer and the Chachamim completely different than Rashi, as we said. According to Rashi, Tzipui is a reason for Tumah, and according to the Rambam, Tzipui is a reason for Tahara. Now, this is the introduction. Now let's go back to the Masechta Chagiga. We finished the argument between Abelazah and the Chachamim. Now comes the last piece of Chagiga. 
changes the language, the, the whole language now changes, what we call Agada. Go back to your sources. Omar Revavo, Omar Rabbi Elazar. Rebavo Sanem Reblaza Talmide Chachamim ain Urshal Gehenim Shalatas Behem. Talmide Chachamim, Torah scholars, the fire of purgatory does not rule over them. It does not rule over them. And he gives a whole Kalvachim from the Salamandra that if somebody you smears the blood of the Salamandra, they're immune to fire because it comes from the fire, the Salamandra. A Talmud Chachim who is fire because Torah is fire certainly is immune to the light of Gehenna. And the Gemara The fire of Gehenim does not rule even among the sinners of Israel. Look at the golden altar. The golden altar was wood plated with gold. And yet, the golden altar was gold covering wood. After so many years, you would think one of two things would happen. The gold would become ruined from so much fire. Every day you're burning incense on the gold. The gold should get ruined. It wasn't such so, so thick. And also it should penetrate and the wood should get burnt. It doesn't happen. The Mizbeach remains intact. So he says, Poshi Yisrael, sinners of Israel who are filled with mitzvahs like a pomegranate, is filled with seeds. Certainly, certainly the fire of Gehenim can't rule over them. If the Mizbeach has of the altar, even though there's a fire that burns on it, but because it's an altar and it's protected and the wood is under the gold, so the gold is not ruined, and even though the gold is thin, the wood is not ruined, even though the fire is burning on it, it should destroy the Mizbeach, it doesn't get destroyed. Certainly, even the sinners among Israel who are filled with mitzvahs like the pomegranate, they're not worse than the altar, and therefore the fire of Ganem doesn't rule over them. This is how Masech Chagiga ends. Now, <laughs> the obvious question is, I can understand the connection between the previous piece of the Gemara to the last piece, talking about the golden altar. But in the middle, he interposes it with the whole piece about a Talmud Chacham, a Torah scholar, the fire of Gehenim doesn't rule over him because of a salamandra. How does that come in here? Now, you can't say it's an introduction to the second statement, Rish Lakish, because as the Rebbe said then, in Erevin, where this is the source of it, he brings the second one, he doesn't bring, even bring the first one. So how do we understand the continuation here of the Gemara? And what's exactly the connection to the Mizbeach Hazov? Okay, so you have a golden altar. It's covered with gold. Under it is wood. It doesn't get burnt because it's a holy item. What's the connection to the Poishi Yisrael, to the sinner of Israel? And also, is this connected to the whole theme before? It's just, we spoke about the altar. Let's put in something about the golden altar. Is there a thematic connection? So most people think they learn Gemara. It's just, you know, a nice vart to end it off. But the Rebbe said it's not that way. Every line in Gemara is meticulous and thematically connected and integrated. So what is the thematic connection between this final sugya? This finishes the opening, the first part of the Shir, discussing the questions at the end of Chagiga. We now change the subject completely and we're going to take a journey into the world of Hillel and Shammai and the school of Hillel, the school of Shammai. At the end, we're going to come back to Masech Chagiga. So put this... Put, put this on the side, not on the side burner, but hold on with this for a few moments. Be'ezer Hashem, we get back to it at the end of the Rebbe's Hadron, at the end of the Sikha. So let's now go to your source sheets. We're going to go, I gave the introduction, so we're going to go in the Sikha, we're going to learn parts inside. We're going to start from, we did the whole introduction, which is a little complicated, you have to learn it well, maybe you have to review it. If you, go to the, if you go to your source sheets, 
and you scroll down, we go to th- page 311, the last, the last line, Se'iv Gimel. I'm going to read. I'm going to read in Yiddish and I'll translate. I'm going to read fast because I want to get through the subject. I want to get through this, the theme. As is Nispasha Deminig to Fabindin and Ahadrin, Siyum Hamasechta, Mitir Haschala. Was the time the fun is nitli pulpula lechiduda baalma? No, was the hub and taka shaykhis vekeshin and toichin and yonam? Al derech zebenidin the dan besiyum besechta chagige mit haschalasa ukidala kamon. There is a famous Jewish custom that we connect the beginning of a tractate with the end. And the reason is not just, you know, it's cute that the end and the beginning are connected, but because there is always a connection between the beginning and the end, which means we're going to be able to understand the end of Masech Chagiga and see how the same idea is reflected in the beginning as we will be explained later. The Bir in the Asarambam Kemen Zogin to understand the perspective of the Rambam at the end of Chagiga, why he rejects the view of Rashi and why he learns the whole Gemara differently and the Rishonim themselves don't understand why the Rambam did it. The Rosh said he didn't look into the Gemara. Imagine saying that on the Rambam. He doesn't mean he didn't look into the Gemara. He means he, he missed the Gemara, so to speak. He, he looked at the Mishnah, but because he was writing in his commentary on Mishnahis, but he didn't go through the Gemara, at least not in the proper depth. And the Rikurka says, there's a problem in the Rambam, in the Kesef Mishnah, they struggle with the Rambam. So the Rebbe says, you want to understand the Rambam, you have to understand as follows. The Rambam nemtonas de machloikas dotsevishin rabbonon rabbi Eliezer. Vos rabbi Eliezer shamutihu fun talmidei feribeshamai is fabundin unazela shitosi in asvore klolas vos is a yisoid to fill under the pluktus of vishin beshamai umbesilu. Thus haste. This is critical to understand. Beishamai and Beisillel have hundreds of arguments throughout the Gemara. Shammai and Hillel themselves also argue. They lived around a century before the destruction of the second Beis HaMikdash, and they created schools of learning, the school of Shammai and the school of Hillel. Now, there are many arguments between them. So the Rebbe says as follows. You could say that each argument should be explained locally, based on the specific topic that they're exploring. He says, but it's much more logical. If you see what we call a Tzad HaShavah, if you see that there's a common thread, a common way of thinking that pervades their opinions in so many different areas and categories, it's logical to assume that it's based on a fundamental way of looking at halacha, of looking at the world. You understand? This is the very important principle here. That's what the Gemara has an expression, lishitose, in many places, the Gemara will quote a certain Tana or Amayna and it says he's following his Shita, he's following his view somewhere else, even though it's a completely different topic. In other words, if I see two people, <laughs> I don't want to psychoanalyze it, but it's, it's a very important principle. If you see two people arguing, <laughs> I'm not now talking about vindictive arguments, but even a vindictive argument, you see two people arguing about a hundred cases, right? A couple is always arguing about different things. 
You come to an expert, what does the expert say? Let's find out the underlying argument. It's one argument, it's not a hundred arguments. <laughs> it's one argument that you haven't resolved since Sheva Brachas. Okay, so that's in something that we have to repair, we have to fix. But it's true on every level. When you see Bishamah and Basilo arguing about so many different things, you could say each argument is about that issue. The Rebbe says no. When you see that there is a common thread in each of the arguments, it's logical to assume that there's a perspective, a paradigm that underlies their views, and it's coming out in each argument in that unique fashion. In fact, as the Rebbe once said, Chai Elul Tavshin Lamed Zayin, when he made a siyum on Mesechter Rosh Hashanah, he said, because if not, really every argument is just an isolated, self-contained issue. You don't see a view. And the Rebbe said, everything in Torah is Every view in Torah is representative of a whole Weltanschauung, of a whole perspective. So he says, the real way of understanding Torah is getting to the skeleton, getting to the core, tracing back the argument to the core principles of what was at stake. And then you will see how all the arguments in many different areas are manifestations of one principle. On the other hand, if all the arguments are identical, then you don't have to repeat them. Just say it once and give me the principle. The idea, of course, is that in every one of these debates, the principle comes out in a little bit of a different fashion or in a significantly different fashion. And if you would have one and not the other one, you wouldn't have known one from the other. In the language of Gemara, it's called Sricha. Now, what's the connection with our Gemara? We're talking about Rebbe Liezer. The answer is based on a story. Shabbos daf kuf lamed amid beis. The Gemara tells a story that there was a bris, and they carried the knife on Shabbos for the bris. Who, who, who allows that? Rabbi Eliezer. Rabbi Eliezer has a Mishnah in Shabbos that not only are you allowed to make a bris on Shabbos, you're even allowed to cut wood <laughs> to make a fire to form a knife for the bris on Shabbos because all the preparations for a mitzvah are part of a mitzvah. And when they did this, the Gemara says the Chachamim were very upset. Why? Rebeleza Shamutihu. Rebeleza was a Shamayite. Toysvis and Rashi say Shabbos Kuflamen Amid Beis, page 170, 130. Rebeleza was a Shamayite. He was a student of Beishamai. And we know we don't follow Beishamai, we follow Beishilo. So why did that community follow Rebeleza and allow the Moyle to carry a knife in, in a public domain on Shabbos? That's not the right thing. The Moyle has to bring the knife before Shabbos. You can't do circumcision before Shabbos. Whatever you can do before Shabbos, you have to do before Shabbos. What do we see from here? Rebeliezer follows Beishamai. And as he says in footnote 27, there's a Toysfus in Beit Sadaf Lamedalad, where there's an argument of Rebeliezer and the Chachamim, and Toysfus says, something is strange about this argument because Beishamai and Beishilol's views are interchanged, and it should be the other way around. One second, we're not, we're talking about Rebeliezer. The answer is, it's obvious that Rebeliezer followed the school of Shamai. And when Rebeliezer says something, it's the school of Beishamai. So the Rebbe says, if you want to understand Rebeliezer here, in Argemara, and the argument with Rabbonin, you have to understand that Eliezer was following Beishamai. The rabbis were arguing with him, they were following Beishilah. When we can get to the core of Beishamai and Beishilah, what was some of the fundamental issues they were arguing about, we'll be able to come back to the end of Chagiga and understand the argument here. What is this? So the Rebbe, we know that we know that Shas is divided into six chalakim, Zroyim, Moed, Nashim, Nezik, and Kachim, Taras. So the Rebbe is going to go through every seder, every one of the six sections in Shas, and there's many more examples, but he didn't, 
when he said the Hadron, he said the Olam is tired. So he, does, he, he said there's many more examples. But he's going to give one example from Zrayim, Mayed, Nashim, Nezikin, Kachim, and Taris, just to give you a taste of what the argument is about. Now, I should say this, because some people are thinking this. There is another, another discussion completely different. There's a difference of discussion about Beishameh and Beisilo arguing about Bekoyach versus Bepoyel potentiality versus actualization. But that's a whole different sugya. That's a whole different idea. At this Fabreng in Chaf of Lamed Alev, the Hadron HaGigid, the Lubavitcher Rebbe revealed or excavated a new way of studying and understanding many of the arguments of Beishameh and Beishilah. If we have time at the end, I could connect it with the other explanation of Bekayach and Bepoyel, but let's discuss what we're learning here now. In Seydes Royim and Masech Brachas, we start with Tractate Brachas, Benusa <speaking in Hebrew> Tanya nami hachi amru lahem beishilol beishamai harbe ma'odes yesh ba'od in ages and in the medrakvanim shall have a saduma levana yirakrekas the far daf benzogin ma'ode loshen rabim. I'm going to learn one more paragraph and explain. As is poshit as beishamai um beishilol krigin it in amitzias was bemitzias zetman as as an in the einik gvanim in oir. Let's explain. The Mishnah says in Brachas, it's a very famous Mishnah, Daf Nun Aleph in Brachas. What's the text for the blessing Metzoy Shabbos on the candle? What do you guys say at home? What do you ever say at home? You hold like Beisilo. You say, The one who creates the illuminations of fire. The lights of fire. Bishamay says no. Bishamay says you say Shabara Ma'ira Esh. Hashem created the illumination, the light of fire. What's the argument? So the Gemara says in Brachas Dafnan Beis Bishamay holds there is one fire. Bara Ma'ira Esh. There's one light in the fire. Basilo says sorry. Look at the flame. What are you going to see? You'll see Tuvanahide. There's many illuminations. There's many colors. Take a look at a flame burning, and what are you going to see? You're going to see white. You're going to see red. You're going to see yellow. You may see some other colors. You may see blue. You may see black, right? Don't say, He creates the lights of fire. Many lights, many colors, many illuminations. That's the argument. By the way, by the way, there's a quote from Rashi here that you see in every fire many colors, and Rashi brings three, red, white, and yellow. When the Rebbe said this over, it didn't make it into the Sikha, because this was really a completely different subject. The Rebbe said, in parentheses, so to speak, he says, here you see how in every Rashi, there's Kabbalah. There's Kabbalah. Why? Because in Kabbalah, there's Pardis, Rabbeinu Moshe Cordovero, who passed away in 1570 in Svas, he was one of the greatest Kabbalists. He has a book called 
the orchard of pomegranates, and he explains in Shar Hagvanim, the portal of colors, that there are the three basic colors of Kabbalah, which are Chesed, Gvura, Tiferes. Chesed, kindness, is white, Gvura is red, and Tiferes is yellow. Just parenthetically. Says the Rebbe, I don't understand. Beishamai didn't know that a flame has many colors? I'm asking you. <laughs> My kid looks at a flame and he knows that it has many colors. And Beishamai says, <laughs> What type of argument is this? Very hard to understand. So you're going to say they're arguing about the physical facts that every person with eyes can look at a flame and see various colors. Nor the Hezbedefun is here we begin the actual explanation. Beis is of the opinion that when you have to define a law of Torah, you look at things based on the foundation of their general, all-encompassing perspective. In other words, the way they're grasped from an all-encompassing bird's eye, general view, the first impression. That is very significant. And in Torah, that defines the reality, the way halacha treats reality. We're going to explain more. It's similar to a famous principle in halacha in Sanhedrin Davav. A judge can only give a verdict based on what his eyes see. The judge may know that there were, may know or speculate or hear, have hearsay or imagine other circumstances, background situations. But ultimately, he knows we're limited. So he can use his eyes, which means he has to use his common sense and his eyes to see the reality and judge based on that. So the Rebbe is just using that as a principle. And as he brings it, footnote 35:, the Neidah Behuda was one of the greatest rabbis in the 18th century, Rabbi Cheskel Landau, the rabbi of Prague. In his Shalsa Chubas, Neidah Behuda asks a fascinating question. He says, let's say a Jew does a capital sin. And then he does tshuva. He repents. God accepts repentance. Everybody can do tshuva. So there shouldn't be any capital punishments. There shouldn't be any corporal punishments. There should be no punishments. Because a Jew can do tshuva. And the Neidah Behuda says, that's true. But you can destroy all of law, all of Jewish law, all of law you can destroy that way. The person did tshuva, God accepts tshuva. He says the bottom line is we don't know what's happening in people's hearts. I can't judge. Yes, it's right. You may have done tshuva. And God knows. And therefore if it's a heavenly punishment, God will take away the punishment. But I'm a judge. I'm human. I'm mortal. I'm frail. I can judge a person based on the tools that I have. The tools that I have is I don't know how to see what is happening in the depth of your heart. And the Neidah Behuda says, if you don't say this way, any person who does a capital crime will come to Bezd and start crying and say, I did tshuva last night, I did tshuva. Okay, my dear boy, give me a hug, go home. <laughs> I did tshuva. He says, so there's no more punishment. So, there's, so he, why does he mention the Neidah Behuda here? Because he's trying to bring out that everyone agrees with this Neidah Behuda. We can't judge people based on what's happening in the depth of their emotions. Why? Because then there's no reward and punishment. But Beis Shammai says, when something is happening in physically in front of your eyes, that's what we look at. We look at what you see is what you get. 
The shit from Beis Hillel is, as Medav Zerbeke Rechenem, Medem Vidi Inyonem, Verem Fanande Klibben Loizei, the Protem Unoi Fanem. Hagam, the Protem, Zan Nitniker Gleich, and Nafabim Drisha Vechuli, and Dafke Doses Machri and Dinea Torah. Beis Hillel says that the Torah says you have to primarily think about things from a much more nuanced and detailed perspective. You need to dissect, you need to analyze. Even if that requires investigation and inquiry. And in halacha, that view is much more important. That's how you define reality. Or as he puts it in footnote 36, to use a little bit of a different language, footnote 36 in the bottom of the page. According to Beishamai, halacha says, I want you to establish reality based on the situation, the way it appears before you. The way it appears before you, your subjective experience. Obviously, you can't be biased and you can't take bribes. I'm talking about an authentic person. If you have no integrity, get out. You have no connection to Torah, you have no connection to Allah, get out. If you have biases and blind spots and agendas and politics, we're not talking about that. But we're talking about the fact that every person is subjective. Every person has eyes, every person has a mind. You have to see what you see, and that's how you define reality according to Allah. Beis Hillel says, no. You have to actually go away from your own perspective and analyze the details, the nuances of the particular person or the particular aspect or circumstances, its reasons, the details, the results. That's what primarily should be established. Now, I want to explain what this means. But let's first see the answer here with Bayre Meiria Ish. The myth is moving the tam from Zayim Machlekes. The din by Brechas Aneir is Ein Mevorchen Al Aneir Atchi Yosul Aire. The chiyuf from the Brach is Nardam Vemekan Hanah Haben Adam Hatan Nabe Pel from the Mer. The Hanah Kum Gleich Bam Der Zendem Or Beklolus Was Damol Zeter Stamer Ein Licht Gaven Chad in the Hayr. The Nibber Halten Beisham As Ech De Brach Dav Zayin Of De Bria From Klolus Aish Meiria Ish. Da kegen beis Hillel nemt an der Schitte, as we bald bis beinus in dem Eich der Zetter kam am Eudes, so be peil kumt doch da nasser, von der alle gwaven in Eude, darf der Ribbe der Nusser gebrochen sein, beide mi Eude joeisch. So here's the difference. Beis Shammai knows that there are many colors in a flame, but the blessing is, as the Mishnah says, you make a blessing when you enjoy the light, or at least you could enjoy the light. So he says, the blessing is from enjoyment of the light. Now I want to ask you a question. If you need a fire to warm you up, or you need a fire to be able to see what's happening in the room, does it make a difference which color? It's red, it's yellow, it's black, it's blue, it's white light, it's black light, it's dark light. I look at a candle and I'm enjoying that there's light in the room. I'm enjoying the heat, I'm enjoying the bonfire, I'm enjoying the fireplace, I'm enjoying the light. Of course Bishamai knows that there's many colors, but Bishamai says that's irrelevant for the halacha. The blessing we thank Hashem, you gave me light. Beis Hillel says no. Remember halacha wants you to get nuanced. Halacha wants you to dissect, to analyze, to compartmentalize. Ooh, if you look deeper into the flame... You're enjoying the fire, but you're enjoying all the colors of the flame. That's how you make a bracha. Let me just explain this a little, a little, a little deeper. Because here's a big problem. The way most people read this and understand, I can't say most, many people read this and understand it is, Beishamai, superficial. Beishilil, deep. 
you got the sicha wrong. <laughs> if you think Beishama is superficiality, Beis Hillel is depth, you got it wrong. I'll prove it to you. The Gemara says in a few places, who was sharper, Beishama or Beis Hillel? Who was deeper, Beishama? So what happens here? <laughs> when the Rebbe said over the sicha, when the Rebbe said this Hadron, he said, the Alter Rebbe writes in the Kutatayra, that the word Shammai comes from the word evaluation. Shuma, Hashem or Chaysav. The Gemara speaks in sight about somebody who evaluates everything. Shammai is an evaluator. So the Rebbe said Shammai was a better dissector than Hillel. Because <laughs> evaluation is always about dissection and analysis. Take a look in 34. Footnote 34. Don't think Shammai didn't know how to get... Uh... <laughs> How to analyze? The Gemara says in Yevomus Yudalad, Beishamai was sharper than Beishilah. The Gemara even wants to know why the halach is like Beishilah when Beishamai was sharper. They were sharper. So don't say Beishamai. Beishamai just looks superficially. Okay, there's, there's a flame. Red, white, yellow, black, blue. Ugh. Let's go. Let's move on. Let's move on. Let's just look. Basilo says, no, 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 no. Let's deliberate. Let's go deep. He says, that's not a pshat. Beishamai's sharpness is targeted on discovering the general definition, the summation. Or even deeper. To find in every detail how it's really part of one cohesive picture. Now, this needs explanation, so I'm going to take a minute to explain this, the way I understand it. And I think the best way to explain it, and you'll see why I'm using this metaphor, why I'm using this metaphor, you'll see later why I'm using this metaphor. Okay? Here's a question. I want to ask all of you a question. Whoever is listening now, a replay. What captures more of a truth of a person? If I take a picture of you, the way you're here, I go to the Zoom, or I go to your, your table, your couch, wherever you're sitting, I take a picture of you, and I have your face, I have your physique, I have your head, I have your torso, I have your body, I have your feet. Or, you go to the hospital, and we take x-rays. And the x-rays show everything that's happening inside. Which do you think is more authentic, my friends? We all know the x-ray is far more authentic. A picture is just the outer, the external. The x-ray is the internal. So now I have a question. Why don't you guys put up on the walls of your dining room, kitchen, living room, family room, bedroom, x-rays of all your children, x-rays of your parents, x-rays of your grandparents. Go to the hospital, get the x-rays and hang them up on the room. Isn't that much more authentic? Don't give me a picture of my son's teeth. Take an x-ray from the dentist's office, what it really looks like. Don't give me a picture of his face. Give me an x-ray from inside. (laughs) Let me see the CAT scan. Let me see the MRI. Let me see what's happening in the arms, in the legs, in the stomach. Let's see what's happening in the internal intestines. Hang that up on the wall. MS, right? You're all laughing for me. Why are you laughing? You're laughing because, yes, when you're sick, you need an x-ray. But that's not the person. The person is the picture. No, that's outside. No, that's the person. When you're sick, (laughs) I need to find the infection. I need to go deeper. I need to see what's happening. You will see that this 
begins to explain to us what's happening here. Beishamai is not a superficial person. Beishamai says, what you see is real. That's the picture. Take a picture of the person and hang it on the wall. That's what Halacha wants. And as we will see, it's because Beishamai is much more demanding. He's much more exacting. He's much, much, in many ways, more stringent from Beis Hillel. Beishamai is... As it says in Zoyar, Midas Hagvura, he's very strong, he's very principled. Beishamai says, what you see, that's the truth. And you know what? I could be very sharp, I know it. You're looking at a flame, enjoy the flame, it's one flame. Beis Hillel says, we need x-rays. <laughs> we need to go deeper, we need to be nuanced. Now you'll see, this is so fascinating. What I find it fascinating is because there's going to be a lot of lambdas. It's going to go into a lot of different halachas. But the way it translates into human behavior and the way it translates how we look at ourselves and we look at our children and we look at other people and the Rebbe shows that Beishamai and Beishil had two different views of how you look at people and how you define them is incredible. And why nowadays the halacha is only like Beishil. And yet Darizal says in the future when Mashiach comes, the halacha is going to shift to Beishamai. Because Beishamai has a truth that the Beishil doesn't have. And yet, the halacha now is like Beishil. So I want to explain to you what he's saying in this footnote 34. It's not that Beishamai is superficial. Beishamai is sharper. But Beishamai always looks in the prat and he says, I want to see the clown. I want to see the bottom line. I want to see the summation. I want to see, I don't want to see x-rays. I want to get a picture of the person. That's where halacha celebrates life. That's where halacha lives. I could talk about, if I'm giving you a science class, a chemistry class about flames, I could talk about colors. Shammai has no problem, but this is halacha. Interesting, in footnote 33, the Rebbe quotes a fascinating interpretation of the Vilna Gon. 33, The Vilna Gon has a commentary on Mishnah, and he says, look, Shammai said, said, Why? So the Vilna Gon says, Beishamai talks about Yesoid Ha'esh, the element of fire in its pristine source. Beishilo speaks about the fire that we view, that we, when we strike a match or we create a fire, we create. The element of fire only has one. The fire that we observe has many colors. That's why Beishamai is Bara, what God creates, and Beishilo is Boire, the fire that we constantly create. Whenever you create a fire, it's not the Yesoid Ha'esh, the pristine source of fire. It's the actual physical, concrete manifestation of fire in our world, in our environment. The Rebbe says it's a little difficult, this piece of the Vilna Gon, because at the end the Gemara says that Beishamai and Beishilo both agree, you could say Bora and Boire. And the only reason Beishilo chose Boire is because of the language of the Pasuk, as he brings from Toisvis, and there's a Tzlach and a Toisvis Harash, it's in 33. So based on the Vilna Gon, there should have been a serious difference between Boire and Bara. Okay. But that's just, the Rebbe always likes to reference different types of interpretations in, this, in, this, in, 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 in the various discussions throughout the Sikh. We finished with Seder Zerayim, at least one. We only got one. He's not doing all, he's doing one, even though there's many more. Let's go next. Se'ivav. In Seder Nashim, Meseches Ksuvis. Oh, this is a famous argument between the school of Shammai and the school of Hillel. Ah, everybody knows this. Keitzad meragdin lifnei hakala. Ksuvis, where are we? Ksuvis, daf, 
Yud Zion, Amud Aleph, I think it is, right? What does 41 say? Tezayin. Tezayin, Safam at Beis, but it goes to Yud Zion, Amud Aleph. Ketzad Meragdin Lifne Hakala. How do we dance before a bride? Listen to this. Beishamai says, how do you dance in front of a bride? Kala kamoishi. Every bride according to who she is. Rashi says. You praise each bride according to her beauty and her prominence, her, her virtues, her stature, her greatness. Beisil says in front of every bride you dance and you say, she's gorgeous and gracious and kind. I don't understand. He's just giving examples of very visible deformities. What happens if you have a person who can't see Nebuch or a person who's lame? You don't call a short person tall. You don't. Why? Because you're not going to lie. Find the right things to say. Don't say about every single person. She's gracious and kind and he's be- he's amazing. Find what they're amazing in. But the person, they actually have certain deformities. You're lying. According to you. If somebody buys something from the marketplace, and you know what? It was a lousy sale. They can't return it. So do you tell them that it's beautiful or you tell them that it's disgusting? Of course you should say it's beautiful. <laughs> we all know this in life. Sometimes somebody very close to you buys something, they can't return it. And they're all proud of it and they're happy and they come to you and they say, what do you think? So do you say, it's horrible, it's, dis- <laughs> it's disgusting. Maybe that's what you should say, you should be honest. Basila says, not what you do, you praise it. This is the argument. So Beishamai says, Every kala, you praise according to her authentic qualities. Find who she is, what she excels in, and talk about that. Basilil says, no, there's a generic text for every wedding. She's beautiful, she's gorgeous, and she's gracious. Basilil accuses Basilil of exaggeration and lying. It's deception. You're being politically correct. Midvar stop lying. Basilil tells Basilil, we do it all the time. People buy things, you don't like it, you still say it's nice. Asks the Rebbe, asks the Lubavitcher Rebbe, as is the Chpashat, as Eichloit Beisilil is frandet sivui midvar sheketurch. Un as Eichloit Beisama is beshas ene koifta mekech, daf menes farim meshabeach zain. I don't understand. Beisama holds you a lot of lie. I'm sorry, Beisilil holds you a lot of lie. Beisama is asking a good question. You're not going to lie. Why lie? If a person is not gorgeous, they're not beautiful, why say it? If a person is not known for their graciousness and kindness and super benevolence, why say it? Why lie? Find something else to say. Does Basilil really believe that truth doesn't matter? You just say the right thing to make everybody feel good and look good. And according to Bishamai, does he really believe that if somebody buys something from the marketplace <laughs> and he can't return it or she can't return it, you should say, oh, wow, you wasted all your money. This was the stupidest thing you ever did. This was a really foolish sale. Is that what Bishamai holds? No. 
They're following their shita, their view. Et oizgeklibben die Kalle is abschittes as in sein eigen is ja nova chasude. Und al pisa jumtek de hemschich mi kan omruch achamom loelum, teid eigeschladem oder wissem abrius, von von dem zetmen, as wie bald as ein de jesse in Schavis, muss men jeden einem schatzen leut sein basunder deja. Weil derech al todin es chavercha achetagielim koimoi, bechol ha pirushim shebemokem. Und durch dem Kuppen so, als wir werden mit Urwa viele im Abrius. Bemehle es euch mowen, als das das Besilder das nicht kein Schäcker. Warum noch der ist beinen, das beprati ihr seht man, als bei Jachas so, als dem Chassen, das ist da kein Kalanovachasude. Mal schenken euch bei Schamai. Als der Klolles, die gegedere Ries, Kevea, kann man einfach gegedres, bis man nicht sagen Kalanovachasude. Aber Mehle geht es an einen Gedder von mit Warschäcketirchak. Die Explanation ist as follows. Beis Shammai holds, Halacha says, you accept the reality of something the way it's perceived from a general perspective. You don't do x-rays in Halacha unless you have to. There's certain situations. But generally, the way your mind, your eyes, grasp it from a general perspective, you take a picture of somebody, that's what they look like, that's who they are. That's what Beis Shammai says. That's how halacha asks of you to define reality. Now, at this, in this bride or this groom, these particular qualities are not visible. The Gemara uses qualities. The Gemara speaks about challenges that are visible. There's a reason for it because my eye tells me, I'm sorry, it would be a compliment that from my perspective is dishonest. So the Beshamai says, Kala find the virtues to talk about. Basilil doesn't say you lie. Basilil says as follows. We do take x-rays. We do analyze. We do dissect. We do tune into the details, to the various factors. Let's think about this. Why is there a wedding now? This groom took this bride as his wife. She is for him his soulmate. He wants to spend Be'ezir Hashem the rest of his life with her. In his eyes? She's gracious. She's the most gracious person in the world. She's the most beautiful person in the world. As he brings 44 star, the Gemara in sight, the sight of Memzayin Amad Aleph, what does Rabbi Yechanan say? Shalish Chino There's three things that we have such graceful feelings towards. The place you live. If you live in New York, it's my place, New York. Other people think it's horrible, but for you, New York. And for this one, LA, for this one, Miami, whatever it is. This is my place. Your coat, your computer, your car. Somebody else may have a nicer one, but it's mine. And then there's the grace that a woman has in her husband's eyes. She's mine, and that's what makes her the most beautiful. She's mine and I'm hers. And that's why the Gemara continues and says, Mikan, from here the sages learned that you have to be integrated with people. 
Your mind, your perception, your das has to be mu'ureves. It has to be mixed up with people. What does this mean? What this means is that you have to get to know people. People have different perspectives. Ain't they say in Shabbos, no two people look alike and no two people think alike and no two people have the same struggles and no two people have the same way of looking at the world. And you have to start evaluating each person from his or her paradigm and perspective. What does the Mishnah say? Don't judge a person until you do not reach their place. Who says it? Hillel! Footnote 46, Avais, Perik Beis, Hillel says, You can't judge somebody until you don't reach his space. And the Rebbe says space doesn't only mean physical space. Space includes every concept of space. I cannot judge you until I do not know where you live, until I don't understand your space, until I can't tune into your space. And space again means geographical space, psychological space, existential space, spiritual place, physical place, emotional space. And then you could learn how to be integrated even with brios, even with simple creatures. But you have to understand people. So Basilil is not telling you to lie. When you say Kala Nova Chasudi is just telling you, you came to this person's wedding. Can you take off your own glasses at the wedding and put on the Chasan's glasses and dance in front of the Kala and say, she's the most gorgeous, gracious person in the world. And dance in front of the chassan and say he's the most handsome, amazing guy in the world. Because for this kala and for this chassan, that's the truth. But for this, you have to strip yourself from your own paradigm. Maybe you would have not chosen this kala or this chassan. I hope not. There's one kala and one chassan. <laughs> you would choose somebody else. But for this chassan, she's everything. Of course she's kala nova chassuda. I'm not lying, Basilo says. Bishamai says... The gather, the clothes, the kegeder, what establishes in halacha reality is not the x-rays, not the details, not the nuances, what you see. I can't say kalanova chasuda. For Beishamai, this is a lie. For Beishamai's world, it's a lie. And we're getting a little deeper into Beishamai with each step because things are going to become clear that Beishamai actually, <laughs> Beishamai actually doesn't believe in x-rays, not because he doesn't believe in x-rays, but because Beishamai could live in a world where the outer and the inner are always synchronized. <laughs> so the outer tells you the whole story of reality. That's how Beishamai lived. And that's how he believes halacha determines reality. See it, and that's what it is. And in every detail, you could see the klal. And understand the klal. This is a lie, sorry. They're not arguing if you're allowed to lie. They're arguing how halacha defines reality. Let's go to the next step. Here, the argument changes, completely different, different realm, the laws of nida, the laws of a woman during her cycle. We have now two other examples. But here it becomes even more emphatic. Because in the first case we see 
Shammai will be lenient and Hillel will be stringent. Usually Shammai was stringent, Hillel was lenient. The fact that they can reverse their views shows how attached Shammai was to this worldview. He's even ready to defy his norm and become lenient. That's how deep this worldview is pervasive. He's not just always stringent or always lenient. Real people are not that way. Real people have a paradigm that for them is really authentic and that's how they live. That's their trajectory. And Hillel Hillel and Shammai here transform their regular opinions. The second case is also fascinating because it's about a story. It's about a story of Shammai and Hillel. You don't only see what they preached, you see how they lived. It's called Maise Rav. The Gemara says the strongest thing is a Maise, when you have a story how they actually lived. Not just their school, not just their students, not just what they taught, but Shammai and Hillel themselves. Here we go. In Seydin Ezekin Mesechta Edius Lenenmeh. Okay, this is an argument between Shammai and Hillel in the beginning of Meseches Adius and in the beginning of Meseches Nida. What is the argument? The argument is as follows. If a woman... And we're talking about a woman who doesn't have a fixed time for her cycle, her monthly cycle, her monthly menstrual cycle. Shammai says, a woman suddenly checks and she sees blood. So he says, Dayan Shaitan. You assume that the impurity began from that moment when she checked. So let's say yesterday she touched truma, she touched holy food, or she touched a carbon, a holy sacred offering. It doesn't become tame. I. She's now a nida, she's in the cycle, and that creates an impurity until the cycle is over and she goes to the mikvah. But Shammai says, Shammai says, I understand, but Dayan Shaitan, it's enough to say that right now she is Tameh until she becomes Tar. You don't have to go back retroactively to yesterday. Hillel said, no, you go back to the last time she examined herself. He's much more stringent. So let's say she checked herself for blood on Sunday. On Wednesday, she checked herself a second time, and Wednesday, she saw blood. Sunday, she didn't. So even Monday and Tuesday, whatever she touched, if it was holy food, it became impure. Why? Because Hillel says, you don't know. She examined herself on Sunday, so we know that till Sunday, everything was good. But she didn't check herself till Wednesday. So maybe it started Monday, maybe it started Sunday night, maybe it started Tuesday morning, I don't know. So Hillel says, be stringent, and anything that she may have touched, that could have become impure, between mipkida lipkida, from one examination to another examination, you have to assume that it's Tameh. That's what Beis Hillel holds. That's the argument. Asks the Gemara, in Nida Dav Beis, asks the Gemara, Nida Dav Beis, on the bottom of the page, what's the logic behind the argument? So the Gemara says as follows. Shammai says, listen, there's something called in Halacha, a Chazaka. What's a Chazaka? Chazaka means um, the presumed state of a person. That's what Chazaka means. Presumed state based on what she was previously. Maintain the status quo. In other words, 
A woman generally, yes, a woman has a cycle, but generally we don't assume that she's bleeding. A woman can consider herself pure until the cycle begins. So Beishamai says, Hamid Ishal Chaskasa, this is what the Gemara says. Presume her state based on what she was previously. So Beishamai says, now she examined herself, she sees there's blood. But yesterday, I'm going to presume that there was no blood. I don't have a reason to say there was blood. Go back and presume that she remains in the same state based on what she was previously, until that status quo is defied based on certainty. So therefore he says, yesterday I don't think there was blood and we could keep everything pure. Hillel argues, he says, no, no, no. Chazaka works, say, let her maintain the status quo. Let's attribute to her the presumed state based on what she was previously. That's true if there was no reyes amigufe. If the only change would come from an external factor. But let's understand that a woman naturally, every single month, there's something that happens in the blood. The uterus breaks and gets dissolved and therefore there's blood. It's something that comes migufa. She sees it because of dynamics in her own body. So this is a change that's happening naturally. It's expected to happen and it happens from within. So therefore Beis Hillel says, I can't assume the status quo that she's pure. And I say, till the last examination, when I know for sure she was pure, I assume it's tummy. What's the argument? Bishamai doesn't know about what ha- the, the biological dynamics. Says the Rebbe does that in themselves It's not based on practical arguments of reality. Everybody knew what the other one knew. It's based on how halacha, how Jewish law, determines how we view reality in terms of Jewish law. Shamai halt as mekukte fazach vizi zetzich ader zetzich nit. Here it's zetzich nit. Gleich fada egen. Und der Pfad ist da gescheit. Das Mann von Rie ist da mit Pöllen und der Frieh, weil es ist nicht gewähnt kein Rie. Und man stellt sie die Rieber auf der Chazak. Hillel halt aber, als man mal nuggen sich nicht mit einer Reues beklau. Nur man darf es heute sein, Proteinien, was raus so da. A das, was raus so jetzt scheitert, das haben wir so wirf. Weil es ist da ein Reies begufen. Die Sache von der Rie ist an Inien TV bei der Nische. Und man hat Zeit, man kann sich nicht stellen bei Cheskes Tade. Und die Tade ist an den Tommy mit Sofakalkalpon. Briefly. Shammai holds, you look at something the way it is, the way it's seen by you or not seen by you in front of your eyes. A woman now started to bleed, she examined herself and she sees there's blood. This is what you look at. Yesterday, I have no reason to say there was blood. I Maybe there was, maybe there was. But she didn't see it yesterday. She saw it today when she examined herself. So therefore I can go back to the Chazaka and I say she's presumed to be pure. Now you see it? Now the status changed? Now she's Tommy, now she's Anida. Beis Hillel says, we take x-rays. We don't allow ourselves, which means it's insufficient with what your eyes see. Investigation, scrutiny, dissection, analysis, details. Why did she see blood? She just saw blood randomly? No. There's a reyes abagufa. It's a part of the biological clock of a woman. It's part of how God created her body. If that's the case. So you can't just say she's becheskes tatter, she's presumed to be in a state of purity because something randomly may have happened. Now, it's not random. This is a natural process that happens in every month. And you're not sure when. Remember, this is talking about a woman who doesn't have a fixed cycle, doesn't have a vessel. So therefore, Basilil says, you got to go back all the way to the previous examination. They're not arguing in the facts. They're arguing how halacha studies facts. Beis Shammai wants the bottom line, the summation, what I see. 
Ein of Royus, what I see. She's not Kalanova Chasuda. Sorry, I find other compliments. Fire? It's one fire. It lights up my house, it warms up my house. Yes, there's many colors, but that's not what Halach is concerned with. I see a flame, and the flame is one flame. Here? I see blood. That's it. Yesterday I didn't see blood. So don't, you see blood now. Yesterday I didn't see blood. I go back to a chazaka. I assume she's pure. Yesterday she was pure. Beis Hillel says, no, get deeper. Get understand the dynamics. That's what halacha looks at. Now it becomes even more clear from the next story. Ches. Oichin seidemoyed mesechter Shabbos. Zet menodem muntershed neshittas from Shammai and Hillel and the drei falen vegan anochi vasegekumen zech megayrza. Wow, this is the big story. In ein fal hat der nochi gesagt, gaideni amenashe tlamdeni nor teider shebeksav. In zweiten fall hat er gesagt, gaideni amenashe tlamdeni kola teider kula. Kshani yemila regelachs. In dritten fall hat er gesagt, gaideni amenashe tesimeni koin gadol. Und in der alle drei fallen ist Shammai hat sie deuchev deuche gewer und Hillel hat sie mekabel und megayer gewer. Is doch nit muvan miman of shuch. Let's remember the story. Shabbos daflamer aleph amer aleph Shabbos thirty one a. What's the story? The story is. There were three Gentiles who came to Shammai. Each one had a different story. The first one said, I want to convert, but I'm only accepting the written Torah, not the oral tradition. The second one says, I want to convert, but I need you to teach me the whole Torah while I'm standing on one leg, on one foot. The third one said, I'm ready to convert if I could become the high priest. Shammai rejected all three. He pushed them away. Why? That's not conversion. <laughs> a convert who says, I don't accept half of Torah. A convert who says, I need to become the high priest. A convert who says, I only have 30 seconds. You can give me a, you can give me a crash course in 30 seconds. Sorry, that's not conversion. Beis Hillel, Hillel, not Beis Hillel. Hillel accepted them. The Gemara says, the three people met. They all converted to Judaism. And they said, the stringency of Shammai would have thrown us away from the world. The benevolence, the humility, the piety of Hillel brought us close to the Shechina. Asks the Rebbe, I don't understand. Is the Chnit moving from Manavshan? Vibalts is that the Klalas medav zechapaltan from a kabbal zayin gedim and a leichter neufen. Or befrat as the handles of vegan gedim was agin klalas ayin gedis. Is almenaz was is atnai shaloi kidi boyim b'shasein. It comes from megayas and bechtei tzedek rechen durch dem ashrod of a kaitzer bezer. Or the days nit mekabel if zechganes tayres menem nit mekabel. Hain viyazer tzeh Hillel mekabel gavan. Und er hat gesehen, dass die alle Gäden von sich megayen sind mit einem Emes. Und das, was er dibur ist, benutzt Analyse es zu lieber seitigen Tam, es fällt sich in Jedie, begeder de kein Gott oder kein Jezebus. Ah! The whole thing doesn't make sense. We know that a convert has to accept the whole Torah. We also know that we don't try to accept converts just because somebody says, I want to convert. It's not an Indian. In fact, we try to persuade them otherwise. Here the converts came and clearly said that they're not ready. They were making all types of conditions that are completely inconsistent with Judaism. If somebody comes and says, I'm becoming a convert so that you should make me the high priest. 
or I'm becoming a convert, but I'm not accepting Torah. I'm not ready to accept the whole Torah. I'm not even ready to learn. I have only one leg to stand on 40 seconds, teach it to me. You don't accept them. So how can Hillel accept them? So you're going to say that no, they were genuine. They weren't serious with these stipulations. So why did Shammai reject them? He didn't know how to read people. And you see at the end, they became converts and they were authentic. So Hillel was right. So what was Shammai's perspective? The Rebbe says, again, this has to do with two worldviews. Beis Shammai doesn't take x-rays in halacha. Not because x-rays don't, don't, don't exist. Not because they're lies. Beishamai actually, here is where you see Beishamai. Beishamai says, what a person says, that's what I take seriously. What my eyes see, what my ears hear, that's real. I listen to what they're saying and how they want to become converts. And you know what? They said the, ba- they said the wrong thing. This one wants to be Kain Gadol. This one wants to learn the whole Torah on one foot. This one doesn't accept Torah Shabbat. I'm sorry, I can't accept it. Bishamai says, the truth is what you see. The truth is, this is what they're saying. This is how Allah has to treat them. They're not ready for conversion. I'm sorry. Go find another religion. You're not for Jews, for Judaism. It's a very serious thing, Judaism. What does Hillel do? Hillel says, you know what? You actually have to analyze them. And you have to see what is behind their words. Sometimes people are not expressing themselves correctly. Sometimes people's words can eclipse their true intentions. Now you get to understand that Beishamai is not superficial. Beishamai in a way is deeper. Beishamai says, you know what? People's words should not eclipse their intentions. People should be worked out. Beishamai says, people are complicated. I'm looking at these three converts and I'm listening to them. And I know the truth. They want to be real converts. But you know what? They have blockages. They have different issues that are unresolved. Maybe one of them doesn't understand what a kind Gadol is. Maybe one of them doesn't really get the nuances of Judaism. He has to be taught. He thinks he can have it on one foot. Maybe one of them doesn't know what Teresh is. You know, sometimes people come to me and they say, oh, the rabbis invented all these laws. I don't follow the rabbis. They're corrupt. They don't know what Teresh is. They don't know about the immune system of Teresh They don't know about the integrity of Teresh I could reject them. I could say, oh, it's Kfira. Basil says, sorry. No, 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 no. Analyze. Take an x-ray. Look what's happening and you'll see people are complicated. People are nuanced. Yes, people are complex. They're saying one thing and they mean something else. That's Basila. Basil says that's not how halacha works. We're going to see later why the halacha is like Basilil, because Basil is talking about a much more perfect and true world. That's why I said Basil in a way is deeper than Basil. But his depth is a different type of depth. Beis Hillel's depth is nuanced. It's compartmentalized. It's dissected. It's seeing different parts of people. Beis Hillel sees dissonance. They're saying one thing, they mean something else. They may not even understand what is going on inside of them. I see three authentic people who really want to be Jewish. I'm going to make them Jewish. And you know what? He was right, because they wanted to be Jewish. Beishamai wasn't rejecting halacha. For Beishamai, that's not how halacha works. For Beishamai, halacha works in a way, you see it, you hear it, and that's how you define it. That's real. (laughs) That's real. The picture that you take from a person and you put on the wall, that is the person. 
And therefore, Beis Shammai says, now I keep on saying Beis Shammai, here it's Shammai. It's not Beis Shammai, it's Shammai. Shammai rejected, Shammai, Shammai rejected them. Next. Now we come to another one. Fascinating argument. Uh-huh. I'm going to say it inside. Tess. Say the Kachim, Mesech Techulin. We already did Zerayim, we did Mayid, remember? What do we do in Mayid? Chagigi is Mayid, but we also did one more in Mayid, the story with the three converts. We did Nashim, right? We did Nashim. Did we do Nashim? Meseches Ksuvis, the Chassan and the Kala. We did Nezikin, we did Adias, which is also Tarais, because we did the woman with Nida, and now we do Kachim, Meseches Chulim. What's the halacha? Are you allowed to put on one table chicken with cheese? Beishamai says, no problem. You're not allowed to eat chicken and cheese. Biblically, you're allowed to eat chicken and cheese because chicken is not meat. But the rabbis prohibited chicken and they treated it as meat, so we don't eat chicken with milk. We know that. We don't eat chicken with milchiks. But could you put it on one table? Bishamai says, yeah, put it on one table, don't eat it. Basilil is more stringent. Here again, Basilil is stringent. He says, don't bring it up on the table and don't eat it. What's the argument? What's the argument? They both hold you not let to eat chicken and milk. Why does Bishamai say, put it on the table? Basilil says, don't put it on the table. Why? What are they arguing about? Usually Bishamai is strict, but here Bishamai is lenient. So he's not following his regular view. He's always more stringent. What happened here? Oh, now we understand. Beishamai says, I look at something the way it is, the way it appears. That's the real truth. From the halachic point of view. Bringing up chicken, putting chicken on a table with his cheese... There's no problem. That's not forbidden. Just look at the fact. The man put chicken on the table where there is also pizza or cheese, a cheesecake. Just look at what happened. Is there any problem? No. Just look at this act independently. There's no problem. Having chicken on the same table like cheese is not an issue. Problem is eating them. Eating them, consuming them together. Beis Hillel follows his view. Beis Hillel says, look at everything, not just in a self-contained way, see it also as a cause for factors that are going to evolve from it. Look at both things. Look at what it is a result from, and what will result from it. In other words, contextualize it, in the entire, look at the whole spectrum from the beginning to the end. Yes, scrutinize. Look what happened before. Look what's going to happen after. Ah, I know putting chicken on the table with, with pizza is not a problem. I know, but I always look at what's the next step? What's the result? What are the ramifications? Yes, I analyze the details, 
Let's understand. Once it's on the table, a person's Yetzer, people have addictions, people have inclinations, people are sometimes very instinctive and impulsive. Yetzer Lev Adam Ramin Urov. That's who we are. We're weak people. We're frail. So what happens? I'm a little hungry. And they're both on the table together. Maybe I'm going to forget. Maybe I'm not going to forget. But ultimately I'll eat them together. Basilil again. He goes deeper. What do I mean deeper? He dissects the details. He looks at everything. Not just for what it is. But for where it came from. And where it may be going. When the Rebbe said the Hadron. In Yiddish. The Rebbe said. Basilil zakt. Basilil says. Why did he put it on the table? He doesn't want to eat it. If the Hasimun is a baltaiva. That's what the Rebbe said. Asimene is a baltaiva. This is a guy who has issues with food. He loves food. He's a shtickle glutton. It's a baltaiva. What do I mean is a baltaiva? Why does it, you're, eating, you're eating cheese. Why do you need chicken on the table? You're eating chicken. Why do you have milk on the table? The guy likes food to be around. He's a baltaiva. Ooh, so even though this is not forbidden, once you're a baltaiva, what's going to happen? You know, nobody eats one piece of potato chips, right? Unless you're really disciplined. You don't eat one piece of chocolate, right? There's one piece, there's a second piece. Are you not supposed to eat the second piece of chocolate? But it's there. So Basilo says, sorry, no bringing up chicken on the same table like Milchik's. Next Machloikas. I'm going to say this Machloikas outside. This is Seder Tarais. Laws of Purity. We already did one about the woman with Nida. That was from Nida. But here's another one. <laughs> and there's many examples, but the Rebbe says we're going to choose one from Seder Taras. What's the one from Seder Taras? This is Sif Yud in the Sikha. I'm going to say it outside. There's a Mishnah Meseches Kalim, Perik Chav Ches, chapter 28 of Kalim. It speaks about Mitpichos Svarim, which means covers of scrolls. They didn't have books like we have today. It says before the printing press. You're talking about Beishameh and Beishilo. So you're talking about Shammai and Hillel lived in the first century after the Common Era, before the Common Era. Um, and the school of Shammai and Hillel lived during that time. So it's many, many years before printing, before the 15th century when printing was developed in Italy. Mitpichai Svarim means covers of scrolls. So Beishamai says, whether they're decorated or not decorated, they become Tameh. If a dead weasel touches these coverings, these covers of the scrolls, they become tummy. Basil says, no, if they're not decorated, they're tummy. If they're decorated, they're pure. They remain tired. If they're not decorated, they're just simple, simple coverings, they become tummy. If they're, if they're decorated, they remain tired. Unlike Beishamai. What's the argument? What's the argument? So the Rakachover, the Rakachover gone as he brings. Explains the Machloikas based on a rivet. And the key is, there's two concepts. There's something called a tik and something called a chipui. Which means, a tik is, you're using this covering to protect the scroll. You simply want to protect it. So it's something that the person needs. I'm trying to protect the scroll from theft, or from mice, or from other insects or lizards, or from climate change, the weather, whatever it is. Certain part of the house... There may be leaks. I'm trying to protect it. So in other words, it's here for me. The covering is called Misham She Adam. It's a utensil that's used by a person because I want that book. And the halacha is that a utensil that a person uses is acceptable to Tumah. But if you have a cover 
that's not there to protect the book. It's just for decorative purposes. I'm not gaining anything out of it. The book is gaining something out of it. So it doesn't, it's not Tommy. That's what the Rekachover explains, based on Arayvit. In other words, a vessel is Tommy only because it serves a person. Because really, Tumma relates to a person. A living animal can't become Tommy. A person becomes Tommy. Tumma is based on a higher level of holiness. There's more Tumma. If the utensil is for a person, I'm trying to protect my book. That yeah. But if it's just decoration for the book, the book needs it. Right? As one of the commentaries say, ain't tachshet lekeli. Right? We don't put jewelries. <laughs> jewelries of people, not for books. You want to put jewelry on a book? It's for the book, but it's not makabel Tumma. So the Rebbe says, so what's the argument? Now we'll understand the argument. When you have decorated, decorated covers of scrolls, it's made for beauty. So Basilil said, if it's made for beauty, it doesn't become Tomei. If it's not decorated, it's just made for protection. So then it is Tomei. So the Rebbe says as follows. Now we can understand the idea. Beishamai always says, you look at something, from a general perspective. You look at it holistically. You see what it is, the way your eye grasps the reality, that is the reality, in a holistic, general fashion. We don't start taking x-rays. So now, when you see a book has a covering, a scroll, whether it's decorated or not decorated, we don't analyze. Both of them are ultimately helping the book, helping the scroll, they're protecting the scroll. That's the fact. They're covering the scroll. So it becomes Tomei. Basil says, no, take an x-ray. Take a look at the designs. Take a look at the decorations. This shows you there's a different purpose. The decorated scrolls, their job is for the beauty. That's called chipui. It's bottled to the keli. It doesn't have a gather of a keli. It's just to decorate the keli. So it's not Tomei. But if it's not decorated, ooh, this is not for decoration. This is not for beauty. It's a tick. It's to protect it. It's to protect the keli. So it becomes tummy. It also seems like when it's there to protect the keli, it has on it the level of a keli. When it's just there for beauty, it's just like an extension of the keli. So therefore, it's not tummy. And indeed, here too, we see that Rabbi Eliezer holds like Beishamai. The Chacham holds like Beishillel. Again, the same idea that Rabbi Eliezer followed Beishamai, the Chacham followed Beishillel. Ah, based on all of this, let's see, based on all of this, let's come back to the end of Masech Chagiga. I'm sorry. Yeah, let's come back to the end of Masech Chagiga and all will become clear. And we'll understand the view of the Rambam. The argument between Abeliezer and the Chachamim at the end of Chagiga follows these two views of Beishamay and Beishillam. The Rambam holds that Rabbi Eliezer, who was a student of Beishamai, and the rabbis arguing with him, are following the world views of Shammai and Hillel, of Beishamai and Beishillel. That's why the Rambam learns the Gemara the way he learned it, because the Rambam didn't just see arguments as isolated arguments. The Rambam put arguments in context. He saw the arguments as manifestations of the shittas, of the ashkafas of Shammai and Hillel. So when the Rambam can explain an argument as part of that, way of looking how Beishamah and Beishillel understood life and halacha, he'll put it that way. That's why the Rambam chooses his explanation. Now let's understand. Rabbi Eliezer holds that the tzipui, the covering of the Mizbeach, would make it tame. You know why? Because what you see is what you get. 
This is called a copper mizbeach. And every detail of this mizbeach is called a detail of mizbeach anachoshes, or mizbeach azov. This is a copper altar, it's a golden altar. Copper and gold are makabal tumah. Ah, we know that it's only the plating, it's only the covering. And under it, there is something else. And if under it is something else, therefore, maybe the halachas should be redefined. Rebbe Leazar says, no. Since the way you look at the Mizbech, what do you see? You see gold and you see copper. And even if you look at the details, every detail of the Mizbech is gold or copper. They're Makabal Tumah. And therefore, if the Torah wouldn't clearly say that this is like earth, it would be Makabal Tumah. That's Rebbe Leza's view. Because this follows the view of Shammai. The Chachamim hold, you don't need the Mizbech to be compared to earth. You're right. It's called copper. It's called gold. These are metals. That's true. But if you get into the X-ray level, if you get into a deeper level, it's just a cover. And a cover is always subservient to that which is under the cover. And therefore, that takes precedence over the cloud. According to Beishamai, there is a cloud, there's the general picture, and there are the details. The general picture triumphs over the details. The general picture, this is gold and copper. So if this is gold and copper, Rebeleza says, it should become Tameh. Ah, it's only a cover, but that cover is what stands out. I don't take a picture, I don't hang up x-rays on my home's wall, on the walls of my home. I hang up the cover, the outer cover. The Chachamim say, no, Beis Hillel. I know there's a cloud, there's a general picture, but there's the details, and that's what takes precedent in Alocha. So therefore, I don't need a special limud from a posik that the Mizbeach can't become Tameh because it's earth. No! Mipnei Shem as the Rambam says. These are just covers, and covers don't define the keli, and the keli doesn't have access to the Tumah. The tzipuy itself doesn't become tummy because it's subservient. It doesn't have real significance. And the keli itself is not tummy because it didn't come in contact with the tumma, like we learned before from the sifra, the Torah's kainim. And therefore the Rambam says, the argument fits beautifully with the general views of Beishameh and Beisillah throughout Mishnayis and Gemara. And with the views, because Rebeleza follows Shamuti, Rebeleza follows Shammah. And the Chachamim here follow Beisillah. So the Rambam sees this argument as just a continuation of that argument that pervades so many, not all, but so many of their arguments in Shas. This is another one. And the Rebbe brings in footnote 66 another argument that's mamish like this one. Mishnah Ohalois chapter 11. Amazing argument. Mishnah Ohalois. Footnote 66, I'm going to say it very briefly. We all know that if a person dies, God forbid, anything that's under that roof becomes Tameh. What happens if the person dies in a room and there's a door that goes into the other room? If that door is open, if there's an opening to go into the other room, the tumor travels. But if that opening is stuffed up, the tumor doesn't travel. It's like a wall. How much opening does there have to be? He did an opening of a hand breath and then the tumor could travel into the other room. What happens, asks the mission if a person is lying in that opening. A person is lying in that opening. Beishamai says, the person blocks the Tumah. Beishilo says, no. If you open, if you look inside of a person, you'll see there's a cavity, there's, there's openness in the person, there's an emptiness, a chalal in the person, and it's a tefach. 
So therefore the Tumah goes through the person. What's the argument here? The Rebbe says, Pashat. Beishamai looks at a person. This is where I got the x-ray example from. Beishamai looks at a person. He sees a person. I'm sorry, a person is not an op- a cavity. A person is an entity. <laughs> a person is one big entity. You block the Tumah. Beishilo says, no, 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 no. Take an x-ray. There's flesh. There's skin. But under it, there's a chalol tefach. There's openness. So the Tumah travels. Who's right? They're both right. It's a different way of looking at a person. If I take an x-ray, I see what's under the skin, what's under the flesh. You see what's happening internally. If you don't take an x-ray, a person is just one big barrier, one mitzias, one gush, one shtick flesh. It's not a hollow. There's no open space here of a tefach. Basilo says, no, the pnimius of a person is a hollow. Yes, we take x-rays. We look at the details. We get into the nuances. We look at the pratim, not at the klal and halacha. Basilo knows what Beishamah is saying, but it's a way of how Allah defines reality. The same is true with the Mizbeach. Rebbe Lezer, he sees the covering that defines the reality. And that's why it should become Tameh. That's his view. The Torah says it's like Karka, so it doesn't become Tameh. Chachamim say, no, I don't look at the covering, I look what's under the covering. I look what's happening on a deeper level, on a more nuanced level. I dissect, I analyze. That's what I did with Kalanova Chasuda. That's what I did with the converts. That's what I did with the flame. That's what I did with the woman who's Anida. That's what I did with the chicken and the fish and the, and the cheese. That's what I did with the covering of the scrolls. I analyzed what the cover looked like. It's not just protecting the scroll. It's decorated. That's what I do. That's what I do here too. I'm not looking at the cover. Oh, if you're looking at the Mizbeach itself, the Mizbeach itself is not going to get Tameh because the Tumah didn't touch it. And I should just add, as he says in 67, there are those who explain the Rambam that the reason it doesn't get Tameh is because it's clay Eitzah lanachas, and the covering is bottled to the clay Eitzah lanachas, Like we explained before. It's the same idea. As he explains in 67. That the tzipoy is bottle to that which is inside. That's the key. Rashi has a different shita. Rashi says, right? That Rebeleza would have been metame because it's mitzupe, so therefore you don't look at the clay eights, but the tzipoy is bottle. And since the tzipuy is bottle, so therefore the Chachamim say, it's a clay eights, the tzipuy is a reason to be metame, right? The tzipuy would be a reason to be metame, but it's clay eights, so the tzipuy is bottle. It also brings out the same point. But according to the Rambam, it's even more emphasized that the whole shita of the Chachamim is that the tzipuy is a reason to be metahir because it, it's completely not significant on its own. According to this, according to this, we come back to the beginning of Masech Chagiga. What's the beginning of Masech Chagiga? The beginning of Masech Chagiga is, there's an argument between Beshami and Basilo. Fascinating argument. There were two offerings that the Jews brought when they went up Yom Tif. When they went up Yom Tif to the Beis HaMikdash, there was an Oilas Re'iyah, and a chagiga. An oilas re'iyah is the carbon oila that was for Hashem. It was burnt on the altar completely. Chagiga was burnt on the altar parts of it, but the rest was eaten by the kayanim and the, the owners. 
Beis Shammai says the re'iya has to be more expensive, two moyas of silver, the chagiga one. Beis Hillel says the opposite, the re'iya is less expensive, the chagiga is more. Why? So the Gemara explains in Chagiga Davav that Beis Shammai holds that the re'iya is more significant because it all goes to God. So it has to be more expensive. The Chagiga also goes to people. So it's less expensive. Beis Hillel says no. Chagiga Adifad is Bashtei Achilles. The Chagiga is better because there's two consumptions. Hashem eats it, the altar, but also people eat it. What's the argument? Beis Hillel doesn't agree that that which is for God is more significant than that which is for people. He disagrees with Beis Shammai. So the Rebbe says, no, it's the same argument. According to Beis Shammai, you look at the carbon generally. You have a re'iya, it gets completely consumed on the altar. It's a carbon oil. That's more significant, it's more valuable, it's more holy than that which only partially goes to God. So that's why the re'iya you spend more money on. It's more valuable, it's more sacred. But if you go in more details, it's the other way around. Beis Beis Hillel says, The second Achila of the Chagiga is in the same category of Beis It's also Achila's Gavoya. Why are we eating it? It's not just people eating meat, people eating steak. They're doing a mitzvah. In fact, it was a a bracha you said, Before you ate it. And when the Kayanim made it, it says that the owners get atonement from the owner, from the Kayanim eating it. In other words, it's like God eating it. And the people who are eating it, as the Gemara says, it's process, like the master giving his servants a piece, like God giving you to eat. So from a general perspective, this is going to Hashem, this is going to people. But from a if you go, if you go into the details, it's Hashem eating it twice. One through Hashem, through the Mizbeach, and one through people. That's also Achilles Gavoya. It's also an Indian of Hashem. It's also Avoidah They're doing a mitzvah. This is a shlichus from Hashem. So it's like Hashem having, so to speak, two meals. One on the altar and one through the people. They're eating it as shluchim of Hashem. As the Gemara explains in Beitzen and Sukkah. Shulchan Gavoya Kazach. The same idea. So therefore, Beis Hillel says, you, 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 you pay more for the Chagiga. This explains the end of the Masechta. What's the connection? About Gehenim not affecting the Talmud Chachem and not affecting the sinner, the Peshaya Yisrael. Why? After the Mishnah and the Gemara about the coverings of the Mizbeach, which is the place where Hashem dwelled, Veshechanti Besoicham, and the Gemara explains the view of the Rabbanon. That when you look into the details, you see a covering that is subservient to the Kali. It's subservient to the Kali. So now the Gemara says, this is reflected in every Jew, Veshachanti Besoicham, who's also a Mishkan for Hashem. Because we follow Beis Hillel, the Allah is like Beis Hillel. And when you dissect the details of a person, when you take an x-ray, when you see what's going on in the depth of a person, you'll see that even the negative things by the Pashi Yisrael, by the sinners, don't constitute their essence. It's just a tzipui. It's just a cover-up. And it's completely subservient and it melts away when compared to the essence. The essence of every Jew is goodness, is holiness, is divinity. So how can the fire of Gehenim 
rule over them when they are pure goodness and holiness and godliness. Ah, there is negativity and toxicity and sins. He says, that's the tzipui, that's the cover. And Basilel already told us that the tzipui is botelagabayu. It's completely bottle, it's completely dissolves and becomes insignificant when you could see the pure essence. And now we come to the final point, the final si'if, which I'm going to say outside. You could look at it inside, it's beautiful inside, but I'm just going to say it outside. This is the last si'if. What's the last si'if? Beis Hillel teaches us how you have to look at a Jew. And we go back to the argument with the Chassan and the Kala. You remember? Beis Shammai said, you speak about the bride the way she is. Beis Hillel said, no, every bride you say, she's beautiful and gracious. Hashem and the Jewish people are called a groom and a bride. The word Shammai means evaluation. Shammai evaluates every Jew and his or her behaviors and says you have to see how he's behaving, how he's living, and that's how you react to them, that's how you relate to them. The word Hillel, Hillel means a halo, light, as it says in Eoiv, the candle is shining on my head. Hillel brings a flame, and he lights up, Hiloi, a halo, and he shows the pnimius. he says, let's take an x-ray, let's take a CAT scan, Let's look at the deeper layers when we dissect and analyze a person and you'll see that internally every Jew is pure goodness, and I'll prove it to you. If somebody buys something from the market and you think it's bad, do you say it's beautiful or ugly? He says, who chose these Jews? Hashem went to the market and he chose the Jewish people. So now when you're talking to Hashem, do you say, Wow, you chose a beautiful Mecca, you chose an ugly Mecca. You chose a beautiful item, a beautiful color, you chose a horrible color. Ah, you say externally, I don't see it. I see a Jew who's spiritually deformed. I see a Jew who's spiritually blemished. That doesn't change the truth. Doesn't change his internal reality. It doesn't change his essence. I'm not lying and saying he's doing a mitzvah when he's doing a sin. But the fact is that the chosen chose him and took this mekach, says Beisillah, look at the Jew and say, Kala no v'chasuda. But there's a condition. Mu'urivim abriyas, you have to be integrated with people. He said, you have to understand what people go through. You have to understand the nisiyonis that exist in this world. You have to understand the journey of a neshama in Olam Haza. As the Rebbe said in the Sikhah, then a malach, an angel, finds always blemishes in the Jewish people. In all the stories, the malachim find avalas. They always find the wrong things. He says, but when a malach comes down into this world, they don't even withstand a small test. Because in heaven, it's easy to be sacred. You want to understand Kalanova Chasuda, you have to look at the journey of a soul. You have to look at the body. You have to look at the situation in this world. You have to look at their background. Yes, you have to take an x-ray and see everything. And then you'll reach the truth and say, Kalanova Chasuda. Hashem knew what he was doing. She's a beautiful and amazing bride. And he says, this is the lesson for everybody. You know, the Rebbe said that when Mashiach comes, Allah is going to be like Beishamai. Because then, Tumah will be removed from the earth, and then the outside can reflect the inside, and the outside should reflect the inside. There's absolute, there's a seamless flow between the inside and the outside. 
If the inner person is healthy, it comes out on the outside. But when you know that a person is sick, you need an x-ray. Because you have to see how the outside and the inside are not consistent with each other. When Mashiach comes, the world will be a beautiful place. The halach is like Bishamai. Kalanovach Hasudi, you see it on the outside. In Golos and in Eilam Haza with a lot of Nisyonis, you have to be able to know that Allah is like Basilal. You see by a Jew, the Rebbe said something negative. So you could tell yourself, oh, spiritually, this is a blind Jew, a lame Jew. How can I even have a connection with you and a love to you? Says Basilal, don't look with eyes of flesh. Don't look at him with Ene, with Ene Bosa, with eyes of flesh. Don't look at the coverings. Hashem chose him and took him as his own. She is a Kala Nova Hasuda. And if you see this person, it's so that you should shine a light on the person and help reveal his Pneumius to himself. Help reveal to herself who she is. When you believe in them, they can believe in themselves. You know why you met this person? You know why this is your child? You know why this is your friend? You know why you came in contact with this person? So that you should help them see themselves. You should light a flame. Be a hillel. And we know in these days, this in Zman Halach is like Bishilal. And the Gemara says in Brach Islam Advav that Bishamai now is not even an authority. Because in this world, the Allah is only like Bishilal. Don't look at a Jew only from your external eyes of flesh. Always see the internal truth. He's a Kalanav, a Chasuda, and your job is to bring that out in the most revealed way. He said, that's how you dance in front of a kala. That's how you bring joy to the kala and to the chas and to Hashem and the Jewish people. And that's what brings the nisuyin, the ultimate marriage, the Medrash says, the ultimate nisuyin between Hashem and the Jewish people will be Mashiach comes. Then the halacha could be like Beishamai, because all impurity will be removed from earth. And then, even from the most external eyes of flesh in the most revealed way, when you will look at a Jew the way he or she looks externally, kala you'll also be able to say, Okay. Thank you very much. Have a wonderful day. The second part of the Hadron, we're going to continue Bezer Hashem Parshas Vayakel, where we get into the whole part of Gehenem. Talmud Chachem Parshas Yisrael. See you back in two weeks, three weeks. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.